Hello, I'm a British actor playing an American, and this is the Dan and Aaron Lycorama music. I don't really know what that was. I was kind of generally going for uh, that kind of retro 1980s, you know, synth feel. So, yeah. No. I liked, I mean, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I, Thank you, British actor playing an American actor. Yes, I'm a British actor playing an American. I'm from Baltimore. Yeah, you have to make sure when you're a British actor playing an American actor, you have to swallow all of your R's, which is what they do whenever they're trying to be American. They go, well, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's really hard here yeah, to speak in this really, really hard American accent. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. It's I so like, funny. I prefer my coffee black with sugar. <laughs> Yeah, I'm they also, from I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, they also they steamroll their their A's as well. Yeah, I really like my coffee black. <laughs> it's like we get it, we get it, we get it. You went to acting school. <laughs> I mean, they really think that America is just the uh, the land of the oh, oh crap! I I lost the name. For, I'm blanking on the name for it. The thing where you talk gravelly, and oh, they would uh, uh, people would police women for talking like that. Um, like I guess mid seventies New England, really, including New York and you know Boston and no, 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 no. Just uh, what uh, what's it called? There's the the two way the two it's two common features of women's voices, and some women. Talk oh, kind of um, high, the, and some women vocal, talk um, vocal fry. Vocal when you said fry, vocal, that stirred it. it. Yeah, yeah, they're, like the they're they think that America, everyone is vocal fry all the time. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yes, I man. love going to Dunkin' and getting a <laughs> getting a mochaccino. That's but another. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get this one to go. There's a whole other meta weirdness to that, which I, I remember, God, I think it was a This American Life podcast episode where they were talking about, various women were talking about how um, they would Today get in trouble. This American Life, various women will be speaking with us about how they got in trouble. It's Ira Glass. It's American Life. Hi, it's me. Every <laughs> podcaster who heard Ira Glass... And then got a job on public radio. Act one, dinosaurs and discombobulation. A I'm discussion. Put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those ones. Yeah. Because anyway. I could I could have gone on that one for a while, but anyway. Um, you know what? You know what's fun is what? how people talk. Yeah. You're listening to how people talk with Dan and Aaron. Right. In which we absolutely do not focus on the subject matter that we came here to talk about, but instead dissect people's accents. Yeah. Wait, what episode was this again? Oh, yeah, it um, was mine. 
<laughs> oh, that's right. That's why I'm ignoring it. Yeah. <laughs> sounds about I right. love you, big guy. <laughs> yeah, you're sure as hell showing it. So anyway, um, I'm going... Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, did I... I'm sorry. Did I steamroll you again? <laughs> All right. So, um, tonight on the like Orama. Oh, let um, me tell you about this thing that I just saw. Fuck you. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Eon by Greg Bear. Um, Yay! Which is just a... Um, it, it is it is a deli sandwich with all the toppings of a science fiction story. Um, it is piled on so thick with um, all these little bits and pieces of science fiction concepts and... Um, of uh, socio-political sci-fi uh, that was a big thing in the 70s and the 80s. It, it kind of takes every little working piece of uh, the way that science fiction storytelling was done in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, wraps it in with a kind of socio-political sci-fi that started to become a big thing in the 70s and the 80s, and it magnifies it to almost like the nth degree. Um, yeah. I, is is um, one of those... I'm sorry, but is one of those science fiction concepts the jelly sandwich with all the toppings? You mean is like that the what plum you pudding said? model? <laughs> plum pudding model, there you go. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to have to give that a try. Put some no, I said, I said some mustard and some jelly beans and some... I said deli sandwich, but... Um, oh, yeah. that makes much more sense than yeah. jelly sandwich. I was... Okay. That yeah. makes much more sense. Thank you for clarifying. You are welcome. Uh, you're, you're Velcro. Um, you're Velcro. So... Clarify <laughs> explains it all. Clarify. Um... So before we dive into Eon, and my God, there's a lot to dive into. I, I wrote and wrote and wrote when I put together the just the lighter notes for this. Um, we'll talk briefly about Greg Bear and, and who he is as a science fiction author. Um, Greg Bear is uh, part of this uh, uh, second wave of great science fiction authors um, that... Um, rose to popularity in um, the 70s and the 80s. Um, his career kind of parallels uh, the rise of like Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, mm, okay. And um, would that be like know, Orson Scott Card? Yeah, Orson Scott Aaron? Card. Yep. Okay. Yep. 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 Exactly. Also, uh, I, I know him from crossword puzzles. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, yeah. Ender's Game and then uh, Xenocide. Um, also, another one that, that uh, parallels the uh, same timeline is um, Kim Stanley Robinson, who wrote um, the Mars trilogy, uh, Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars, which is all about terraforming and uh, creating a habitable oh. colony on Mars. He also wrote Icehenge. Um, hmm. All of these authors were concurrent. Um, and th one of the things that I love about them is that they would circle into and then out of um, uh, uh, like franchise science fiction and and they could come and go from franchise science fiction because they were such good writers that they didn't have to be tied to 
um, the franchise. They they didn't like basically get under the the umbrella of that franchise and go, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna live here now. They they, they were high concept enough that they could do their own stuff, and then every once in a while get um, essentially hired or or you know requested by name to come in and do stuff. Uh, Greg Bear is is uh, a good example of this. He he wrote. Um, a single book, Rogue Planet, uh, for Star Wars, which is r- really mm. highly lauded. Um, and and then he also wrote novelizations of the Halo video games. Um, but his, oh, really? Yeah, his stuff is huh. amazing. And he's been involved in either uh, franchise science fiction or his own independent science fiction for almost... 40 to 50 years. Um, he passed away uh, late 2000s. Um, mm. I think it was uh, 2018, 2019, something like that. But um, Oh, so recently. Yeah. His, his work, though, the, the thing that's really cool about his work is that he, very similar to Asimov, um, loves trying to answer um, the major questions of the universe that get posed by folks like um, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking and like Brian Greene. Um, he likes to take these concepts where scientists and theoretical physics physicists go, well, that's as far as we're able to push the ball today. And then he kind of takes those. He's one of these group of authors that takes those concepts and then goes, okay. Let's see what let's let's posit what would happen if we moved a little bit further. Um, one that's been on my reading list for a very long time, but I've never gotten back around to reading it again is *The Forge of God*. Um, the the way it was sold to me years ago was that it's um it's an answer to the Fermi paradox. The Fermi paradox is basically the question of um, if there's if the Hubble telescope can see a thousand million galaxies out there, and each thousand million galaxy is filled with hundreds of thousands of stars, just like the Milky Way galaxy, and around those stars um, has to be at least a few uh, Earth-like habitable planets, uh, then why the hell haven't we heard from the aliens yet? Um, right. And, and that... That... Uh, to quantify the number of Earth habitable planets, that's the Drake equation, which is if you work the numbers based on what we can see of our known universe, you come up with this uh, certain number, and it's a threshold, of, uh, it's a range of like on the low end, on the high end, maybe 10, maybe up to a few hundred planets should be out there within as far as we can see observably with light waves. Um, that should have uh, at least around one of the planets a living being uh, or living beings that would be able to reach back out to us. Um, so Forge of God it, it kind of picks at that idea. Um, another one that I've, I've not yet read it's is... It's wild to me that you mentioned Brian Green yeah. as one of these thinkers. It's wild you know, to go from nine hundred two one zero to these really deep, you know, astronomical philosophies. <laughs> you know, good for him. That's yeah, what I yeah, say. Yeah, good for exactly. you, Brian Austin Green. 
Yeah. Well, you know, he uh, he put the hills behind him and uh, he moved on. Um, uh, now you got yeah. double checking. Hold on a second here. Is it hills, it's, it's, valleys? It's all sine waves, baby. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. Because if that had sure really been the baby. same person, that would have been awesome. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. No, Seth Green is who you're thinking of. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Scott Evil Man. It's no hassle. Shh. Shh. Have a bup. All right. Um, so we've done a pretty good intro to, to Greg, Bear, Greg Bear himself. Grab Bear! I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that for the rest of the podcast. Maybe I will. Okay. Grab Bear! Um, so, yeah. Uh, he writes good shit. Um, but he wrote this. Well, that's uh, it for this episode. All right. Close it out. Um, one of the novels that he published, um, in 1985 is written through the course of the eighties was Eon. Um, the book itself is, um, a, it's a fucking doorstop. It's like a four to 500 page novel. Um, and, uh, it was published in 85, uh, written through the eighties, just as the cold war was starting to lose steam. Um, so the premise is kind of dated, but, um, at a certain point, the premise uh, kind of fades uh, into the background compared to how fantastic this this universe is that that um, he unfolds. Um, the The simple premise is that uh, around two thousand five, um, NATO, which kind of serves as this U.S. Europe amalgam, um, and the Soviet Union are on the brink of nuclear war. So already dated. Um, yeah. During all of this, an asteroid appears in orbit around the Earth. Um, science teams determine that the asteroid is actually Juno, uh, which is one of the larger asteroids that's found out in the belt. Um, it's We have a... Uh, for those that may or may not know, there are a um, there is a uh, asteroid belt... Uh, it's actually the asteroid belt that they focus on in the expanse um, that sits between the inner uh, set of habitable or semi-habitable planets, I guess, of Mars, Earth, um, Venus, and Mercury, and the large gas giant Jupiter. Um, right. The belief is that there might have been at some point a planet out there where that uh, uh, asteroid belt is, but you know, I don't have the science or the numbers on that right now. What I do know, though, is that there's oh, 20 to like, 30 okay. big maybe asteroids. Just, maybe it got Alderaan. Yeah, it may have been pulverized during the early formation of the solar system. But there's there's 30 to 40 big rocks out there that are part of that asteroid belt. And, and one of them is this asteroid Juno. Um, so Juno shows up just hanging out in near-Earth near uh, near orbit. Um Three teams, uh, Russia, China, and, and NATO, which in this case is, uh, supposits the uh, United States, make their way into the uh, asteroid. And they, over the course of the book, they learn of its history. They uh, learn that it's long since been abandoned by a uh, population of folks that were kind of undergoing their own um, both physical and spiritual evolution. Um and then they start to learn as they move further into the asteroid um, 
about the events that that transpired that led to the asteroid being abandoned. Um, as they move further into the asteroids, its secrets are revealed to them. Um, within the first few chambers, they realize that the they, they learn that the asteroid was called Thistledown by the previous inhabitants. Um, later, the research crews meet some of the remaining Thistledown inhabitants uh, who take them to Axis City, which is supposed to be the center city of um, the asteroid. They learn that the um, the asteroid itself is broken up into chambers. Um, and each of the chambers essentially represents a level of technological sophistication for this uh, society that, that built out the inside of the asteroid. The asteroid, it, it, Juno itself in this, uh, what they then call Thistledown, is hollowed out on the inside. And it's, it's basically, it's got this series of chambers. Um, what they discover the further on that they go into the asteroid, into the, the later chambers, is that more time has passed inside the asteroid than outside of it. And they come across, oh. as they come across the, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, uh, and the seventh chambers, they realize that the technological sophistication begins to approach that almost kind of Doctor Who level of magic, where it's almost impossible to wrap your head around how complex the technologies are that are keeping this asteroid running. The The thing that's really cool is that this is where Bear um, applies some of the most fun science fiction concepts uh, to his writing, and he builds them into the story, including... One of my favorite ones, um, the uh, inertial dampener. Um, the inertial dampener is something that, in generalized uh, physics and in mechanical physics, it's a real thing. Um, it's the ballast in boats. It's the brakes on cars. It's it's a technology that allows an object oh, right. machine inertia to maintain its dampen. structure. Right. Oh, okay. So right. it's just brakes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's it's brakes of boy, any oh boy. sort. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's a ridiculous physics term for essentially brakes or keeping the boat from sinking, right? Um but when it's applied to science fiction, it's applied in the theoretical because um we don't have a way to test any of this theory of inertial dampening in the uh world of faster than light. Right, um, which is where everybody wants oh. to go when they tell stories in sci-fi. Right, um, right, right. Current science tells us that a ship approaching the speed of light would begin to crumple or fall apart in on itself because the tremendous speeds needed to attain these velocities would destroy any spaceship or vehicle built using current understandings of mechanics and physics. In other words, human beings today could not sense. use their current understanding of how to build spaceships to build a ship that would sustain faster than light travel without it shaking apart or without it crumpling like a balloon. Because wouldn't so, it, 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 I might be wildly ignorant here, but isn't that basically uh, getting towards material substance breaking down so that all that's left is energy or it's 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 shaken and disturbed so much that it, turns into energy there's a little bit of that built into it there's okay. also a little bit of um <laughs> i did it ma <laughs> there's 
there's also a little bit of um, uh, uh, some of it comes down to the fact that we as a race have figured out how to break relatively slow speed barriers. Um, the speed of sound is only... Oh, B-R-A-K-E barriers. Or B-R-E-A-K barriers. No, B-R-E-A-K. Because we've done both. To move past. Yeah, to move past barriers. Right. Okay. We've... For the the, the most recent one that, that, you know, kind of comes to popular mind when you talk about breaking a barrier such as this is the sound barrier. Yeah, Jaeger. Um, right. Um, the sound barrier is... Uh, actually relatively slow. Um, I'm pulling this out of the top of my head because so I could be wrong here, but if I remember correctly, it's no yeah, more than Nagers about 300. Yeah, man. What a... Yeah. Boo. He didn't know what he was. Yeah. <laughs> um, the sound barrier <laughs> is 340 miles per hour or 350 miles per hour. Is so that it? That's it. I thought and it was like 700 something. It might be higher. Um, I, it might be that 350 is the the mock ratings. Let's hold on one second here. Let's let's just Google it. Um, uh, speed of sound. What is the speed? 343 meters per second. That's why it sticks out to me because oh, I, I always memorize second. Okay. Yeah, I memorized uh speed of sound in MPH is 767 miles per hour. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, We're you guys. Right. <laughs> Ostensibly. Right. Mostly um, me. But yeah. Uh, it's match point to Dan. Uh, I, no. I never I never messed with uh, useful stuff like science. So One love. Match point to Dan. Um, <laughs> I don't get them uh, metras. <laughs> I know what you talk about, them kilometers. Um... The only meters I know is iambic pentameter. This is where if I was able to pull a um, a three four three poem out of the back of my head, I would do that, but yeah. I can't right now. Because right now I'm too science brain to do that. Um This is yeah. where I choose to say my lines broken as if they are in I am big pentameter and <laughs> <laughs> so I will force in awkward pauses every fifth. How sharper than Nine. a serpent's tooth is this piece of metal I cut myself upon. My God, I hope I do not die of rust poisoning. Um, all right, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, killed Cleopatra's tetanus. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's also what killed Hamlet. Um, so the inertial dampener is um, it's the idea that we're going to have to build something at some point to push back against the speed of light. Um, we figured out as human beings how to build vehicles that can survive moving past the speed of sound. As a matter of fact, one of my coolest little like bits of factoids uh, notes is that when the shuttle re-entered the atmosphere uh back during the the you know space shuttle program yeah there were periods of time as it was re-entering the atmosphere where it was moving at 25 times the speed of sound holy which I thought mackerel was, yeah yeah which i thought was awesome because wow. that's th th that was the speed 
that the you know it's because the atmosphere is this dense layer that you have to re-enter and the shuttle was this giant delta ob you know this giant triangle essentially it was a large game of physics of figuring out how many times you could skip the rock across the pond before the rock would sink Um, that's wild to me i think i think it was you who explained to me that yeah the the shuttle and similar things could bounce off the atmosphere because it's so thick compared yeah. to the vacuum of space. Like, right. that you can bounce off of air yeah. with a solid yeah. object. That is crazy yeah. to me. That's that the is... reason that we don't have craters all over the planet is because the atmosphere does a fantastic job of that for us. So please, for yeah. the love of God, don't use spray paint. <laughs> it's wildly entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's top... Uh... Uh, stop huffing uh, spray paint and releasing CFCs into the atmosphere. Um, so yeah, I think we've beat the daylights out of the the inertial dampener idea. Um, it's basically but yeah. So it's not it's not so much like hitting the brakes as it is like a stabilizer. Right, it's Any stabilizing sort of conceptual the vehicle. stabilizer, an energy okay. field, a physical object, whatever. That protects the thing from shaking apart. Insulation. Um, yeah. Dur- Just that pink its... foam spray. Yeah. 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 You spray enough Pink Panther on the front of a spaceship and it'll go as fast as you want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Inertial dampener. I love it. It's uh, They use it in Trek all the time. They basically use it to hand wave. Why can spaceships go to warp speed? Um, they don't even touch it in Star Wars. The, the kind of wink and a grin is that, you know, maybe Star Wars starships, if you applied hard science fiction to them, have some sort of inertial dampener, uh, because otherwise, you know, it's the same idea. You know, they would they would crumple into, you know, these giant flat spaceship pennies any time that they tried to go to hyperspace. Well, it's um, the secret but, of, of gray paint. That's true. If, yeah, if gray all paint. your ships are gray, like yeah. white gray then right yeah you're fine yeah that's true yeah that's why you uh, don't see any green spaceships in 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 star wars yeah you get that you get that that kills primer yeah not only does it you know make mildew not a problem anymore yeah it also braces you against the rigors of faster than light travel you know, it's Not funny, a lot of I, just discovered, I just discovered that spray paint about two to three weeks ago. Uh, the uh, kind gentleman, the handyman that's working on our house, uh, introduced me to that stuff. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, it kills is good buy stuff. buy myself some of that. Yeah, yeah you get a, get a bucket of it. You, we used it in our old house as a... Yeah. Yeah, because we had, like, the previous people were not great at... Uh, <laughs> Keeping out, mil- I mean, gently. whatever. It's ri- I, yeah. I live in Richmond, Virginia, the the humidity and mold capital of the country, right. and so yeah, the water literally comes out of the walls. Yeah, we, we fight <laughs> yeah. the same thing up here in Sterling. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna side eye someone for having mildew down here, right? But, but uh, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. this this episode is brought to you by Kills. Yes, kill spray paint. Go buy it and spray it all over that black mold that's in your basement. It'll keep you from dying. Hooray! Um, so, other concepts that um, the 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 crew, the research teams uh, discover as they move through uh, Thistledown, uh, the Juno asteroid, 
or um, work that has uh, been done on genetic engineering and human augmentation um, through which the inhabitants of Thistledown have been able to live for thousands of years in order to see their creations come to fruition. Uh, the concept of terraforming, the concept of accelerated learning technologies, kind of similar to the Matrix, where it's like you plug in and all of a sudden you know Kung Fu. But the one that is the coolest, and, and I think this one is signaturely Greg Bear, and it's the reason to read the book, mm. is The Way. The oh, Way yeah, yeah, yeah. is the seventh chamber of Thistledown. And its existence is only probable through a physics-bending process. And I love the way he does this. It's a great science fiction concept. It's the um, the characters start doing this series of measurements when they enter the seventh chamber. And they're, they're looking down the seventh chamber. And they're essentially looking down what, what looks like a huge... Um, if you were to take like a forested region of the earth and and take one of those like mini earth pictures but you inversed it so you it almost looks like a a ring it's essentially like a an infinity mirror ring that goes off uh, ad infinitum with habitable land all around it with this kind of vague sunlight um through the middle and towards the end of um, this corridor that just seems to go on without end. Um, and as they're making the measurements, uh, one of them starts to show the other. It's been a long time since I read the book, so I, I didn't go dig up who it was. But as they're doing the measurements, uh, one of them goes to the other and goes, I want you to look at something that, that came up. I was trying to calibrate my instrument. And what I discovered is that I'm getting these crazy readings. But when I went to calibrate it, I realized that the reason I was getting the crazy readings was not because the instrument was broken, but because the measurement of pi in this chamber is wrong. Right. And what's that? I said, right. I read the, yeah. I read the Wikipedia on this book and that yeah. was one of the things that they pointed it's, out. And I went, Oh wow. Okay. It's such a great concept. I love it. It's, it's whatever they're doing in the fifth and the sixth chamber of Thistledown is, is so like physics bending that they're able to do these mild, not like completely breaking, like with the ridiculously fantastical stuff, like, like star Wars hyperdrive or like doctor who's TARDIS. They're just bending physics a little bit. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, think is yeah, great like, because it's, you it know what a circle is. Edge. Yeah. And pi is the ratio between the diameter and the, circumference right the, right the the line across the middle and the whole length of the circle there's your pi. and no matter how big or how small you make a circle the value of pi always it's remains always constant. pi but yeah yeah it's like yeah. well what if it was a different value what right. would your shape look like and you're like right. wait but that doesn't work you can't yeah that doesn't you can't change math you can't there's change no physics. other circle right and, and yet you don't that's get what like they, a you don't get like a, you know, a one and a half value circle. You, it right. doesn't. It doesn't work that way. You don't get right. a circle plus. And yet, that's like that's his that's his narrative concept, and it kind of it it ties in with the fact that like as they're moving through the chambers, the stuff that they're finding 
are these things that it would take humans maybe a few hundred years, maybe 500 years, maybe a thousand years, maybe several thousand years to ad- to to create, right? Like the concept of genetic engineering oh, and human oh, augmentation. Oh, oh. Go ahead. Real go quick. Ahead. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers everywhere, by the way. But the book's been out since 85, so, you know, if we're spoiling this for you, really, it's on you. Also, uh, Snake kills Gombleputty, and um, uh, Dark Laser is uh, Puke Flyswatter's father. Um, Puke so, Flyswatter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Got that out of the way. Anyway, um, so, the, the, like, the concepts of genetic engineering hum- human augmentation are here now. Um, you know, they're, uh, between, if you, if you date Mark between 85 when the book came out and, and today, 2021, we're there in terms of genetic engineering and human augmentation, uh, terraforming, uh, we've got the technology to do it. It's just impractical. You know, we can't fly to Mars tomorrow and start terraforming, even though, uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos think we can. Um, we can't even inertial- terraform Brazil. That's true. Um, Dude. Why are we terraforming Brazil? Because the <laughs> logging. Oh, I'm, oh. I'm being an environmentalist. Ah, okay. All right. Took me a second. I, I'm, I'm with you on it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> eh. um, so, yeah. Um, I, I just, I like that each one of these technologies, the accelerated learning technology, I don't know. We're, we're not there, you know. Um, but Speak each of these. for yourself. Oh really? Yeah. Oh really? Oh really? Oh really? Oh really? 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 Okay. Okay. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Dan. I'm editing now, and uh, yeah, I don't know what that was about either. Huh? Anyway, here's more show. So the over the course of the book, um, it's it's not just that there's these technological revelations. It's also that um, you know you can't tell a story like this without some sort of drama. Um, so the the hinge point of the drama comes from the Russians, uh, the Chinese, and the NATO research crews who are you know by various bullshit layers of classification that have been thrust upon them by their governments they can't share their research with each other uh so they begin to become increasingly divided um and through the course of the story they end up starting to meet these different future political sects uh living in the seventh chamber um and everybody's gonna have a good laugh here and and it's totally worth it um the 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 two different um uh S-E-C-T-S. Yeah, yeah, it's the Shmirnovites and the um, uh, and uh, the uh, Carlinites that all live by George Carlin. Oh, Carlin's oh, ethos. oh, these uh, the uh, those things. I was thinking it was going to be like a '80s, like a stereotypical '80s Russian and a stereotypical. It's got to be like Yakov Shmirnov and Sylvester Stallone or something. Right. No, it's it's even funnier. It's um the Naderites, based on Ralph Nader, oh, okay. <laughs> who are conservative, anti-technological, and they wish to go back to Thistledown's original concept, which was an asteroid 
that could serve as a generational life ship that would take human beings in whatever state they were in living inside of the uh, Thistledown to the nearest human inhabitable planet, which is uh, Epsilon Eridani. So that's Unsafe part of the... Unsafe at any speed, except for this yeah. one speed. Right, right, which is let's let's just go be space farmers until we get to this other planet. Um and then uh, against them are the, the, I think it's pronounced the Geshel, um, who are progressive, pro-technology, pro-human augmentation and genetic alteration. And their argument is basically, you know, since the inhabitants of, of this asteroid, since the inhabitants of Thistledown now have the way and they can live in this pocket universe that virtually goes on out of infinitum within the ship, you know, as long as the technologies in the fifth and the sixth chamber keep the way open, why go anywhere else? And so these two parties begin to huh. form divisions, and then they fight wars, and um, they've moved. That's, that's very similar to um, a place that was in the X Men comics recently. One of the one of the series had three of them go into this one sealed off. It's like a fortress inside a mountain where within that area time is accelerated oh neat and oh, so you cool. go in for a day and you experienced a century kind of a thing oh neat okay and uh you know luckily for i forget which ones they chose but they like didn't age or something like that anyway i forget how aging works but yeah it was <laughs> But a similar thing, yeah. Well, if you go in here, it's a little pocket universe, and physics doesn't apply anymore. And right, everything is neat and cool and fa and fabulous. Man, I'm now you got me thinking X Men because now I'm sitting here like I'm coming up with a crew of people that could go into a one year equals a hundred years and not die. Like Logan ages slowly, well, but it, he uh, still ages. Not him, uh, but uh, the other Wolverine. Oh, uh, okay. What's her name? Right. Is it X twenty three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, but right. uh, she's now she goes by Wolverine. Oh, okay. See, yeah. I haven't I haven't caught up to that point in yeah. in X Men yet. I've got a backlog of X Men graphic novels that I've picked up that I still need to make my way through. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, it got. I mean, a couple of years ago, it got really good when they did like the hard reset. Yeah. I yeah because didn't they um they it was like the X Men Blue and the X Men Gold team they were all kids again right and they like retained a fraction of their memories that I've, was I've read to that. a different I've read thing that, that okay. was a different thing where they were like sent forward in time the original oh, right. the original five were sent forward in time and now they're this like out of time branch. And they just hung out in the present. Um, but no, that this was more recent than that. This was oh, like, okay. I, I think 2019 is when they broke off. Oh, and right. they did like, okay, everything's number one again. And the hey. way that they do it is like, oh, neat. Oh, neat. Oh. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh. Okay, then. Uh. Okay. All right. Let's go. Yeah, the other Yeah, um, I really love it. Anyway, 
We're not talking yeah, about right. that. We're talking about Brian Eon Bear. by Greg Bear. Greg yeah. Bear, not Brian You can Bear. call him that's whatever a, you want. Just don't call him late for supper. That's a um, totally different species of bear. Yes, yes. Uh, Ursa Ursa science fiction writer. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, that's... I, I kind of ran. I, I've kind of run out. Um, the, the, one of the things I will say about Eon is that um, it um, it differs for me in terms of the way that I like digesting my hard sci-fi um, with a fork and a spoon, um, mm. because it, it's not it's not spaceship-driven sci-fi. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love about Star Trek and Star Wars and The Expanse is that it's all built around, you know, how does a fragile, mostly water-based human body survive in, you know, the harsh reaches of space? And then when you get there, who are you going to meet and are they weird? Um, Eon See, that's instead... why I, I can't digest hard sci-fi because yeah. it always gives me nebulas. <laughs> that was good no that was good that was good because they're gas yeah 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 it gives you a gaseous anomaly uh, at the end of the night. um <laughs> i hear you deflating there um so yeah but what eon does yeah what eon does is it instead it takes all of these um hard sci-fi kind of some soft sci-fi concepts and it wraps them into this giant um asteroid and uses the asteroid as the um narrative framework to introduce uh you know given an unlimited timeline how would humans solve all of their problems and as they're in the process of solving all of their problems what new problems would arise and now let's fast forward that a thousand years, five thousand years. What would the aftermath of a human civilization, given infinite time to solve their problems, look like? And so yeah. that's that's what Juno is. That's what Thistledown is. And so these regular human scientists from uh, Earth are dispatched to it, and they find it. And slowly, the story kind of. Um, unfolds itself and the story is grand i mean the reason this book is round about 500 pages is because it takes that much time that many little tiny pieces of novel paper to build out this this landscape and to drop clues one by one as the characters move their way through the different chambers and mm. slowly kind of piece the puzzle piece the mystery of where do the people go? Why aren't there people living in these clearly human inhabitable civilizations? You know, there are crops here, obviously, but why are the crops growing wild? You know, why are there right. only why is there only machinery left here? Oh, there's a giant city. Let's go to the city. Why is the city abandoned? You know, um, it's fantastic for that because the the one thing that's really neat is that um, Bear uh, uh, does a good job of kind of moving the story forward with uh, the kind of uh, little, like, um, weekly hooks, you know, kind of the, the classic sci-fi hook of the week to keep you turning the page to the next chapter. Um, oh, okay, yeah. By using the 
the Russians versus the NATO folks as the thing where you're like, oh, well, I wonder what's going to happen to them in the next chapter. But the same time, he's building this 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 grand universe around them, and the universe at a certain point essentially envelops them, both story-wise and in terms of um, the importance of uh, the the uh, kind of socio-political arguments that are going on with this future civilization that now lives so far down into the asteroid itself, um, and that's the thing that. It's it's that, and then it's also I, I I love that I mean it's a giant asteroid, which is even larger inside, and that parallels the themes of yeah, the yeah. book. It's it, which are giant themes. How yeah, do we yeah, survive yeah. as a race? What do we do collectively in the face of nuclear winter? What does it right. mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human or a human being or a human civilization that has now been given a near infinite lease on life. Um, and, and it, it, it looks at the, um, all of those concepts, uh, through a lens of both politics and technology. Um, and the thing that's really cool about it is that unlike, unlike what they do in Dr. Who, where in Dr. Who, you kind of get this hand way ring. more nudity. What? Exactly. Right. Right. And and women running around in in mylar. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The woman. The woman runs past a dial a dialect and her dress yeah. rips off. Oh no, she's in her underwear now. Right. And then the old right. man comes and is yeah. like, Oh, I I like this. I'm an old <laughs> British female. guy. Who's playing an American? Uh. The female is scantily clad. We must get her decent clothing. Yeah. God, I wish I could come up with a word that sounds like exterminate that would be uh, (laughs) putting clothes on a person, but I I can't. Um, Yeah. um, Clothes fabricate. Fabricate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We must save her from nudity. Fabricate. Fabricate. Um. So yeah, um, with Doctor Who, there's this kind of hand wave that goes on in the storytelling where you have to accept that there's um, a uh, fantastical group of aliens out there that have the ability to create um, giant spaceships that can shrink their size and dimensions down to tiny boxes and move about the universe. And it's all kind of wink and a grin, and it's the premise. And... But the technologies that would back all of that up, if you can't, you can't pull the curtain back on them in Doctor Who, because otherwise the premise would fall apart under the scrutiny of hard sci-fi. Similarly, there's bits and pieces of Star Trek where the same thing happens, where if you if you pull back the curtain on some of the concepts in Star Trek, like the holodeck. Or like inertial dampeners, which they use all the time in Star Trek. Or like... Um, playing trombone in space. Or like playing trombone in space. Or how do that. one man can sleep with 400 women through the course of three seasons of television and only ends up with one human son. I mean, you would have expected that there yeah. would have been uh, hundreds of hybrid 
Kirk and alien woman kids that would have been coming out of the woodwork trying to help get alimony for every planet that Kirk visited. And yet, no. All we get is David frickin' Marcus, the nerd, who ends up getting killed by a Klingon anyway. He's boring as hell. I thought um, it was Captain Wilt Tiberius Chamberlain. Wilt Tiberius Chamberlain. I like that. Yeah, man. David so Marcus is 10,000 a... women. <laughs> was that this is that was his claim right that he slept with ten thousand women chamberlain was the the, the one Where that do was you like find the time <laughs> well i mean you gotta pencil it in you know I mean, he, uh, yeah he, you he, gotta he, you gotta prioritize yeah you know you open up his itinerary and it's like you know breakfast sex 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 uh mid-morning snack sex um read the paper sex 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 i mean um you know how, how did, i don't think he even had time to like show up to practice yeah yeah you know i but boy, oh you know boy. where where there's a will there is uh the way which is the seventh chamber in greg bear's eon by the way and where um, there's a wilt there is 50 women with uh, i was so close the, so close who took to a number from the deli counter yeah yeah and they're where standing they make, there now serving the, yeah. 26 which is where they make the deli sandwich that is eon by greg bear right um yeah so yeah. uh chamber chamberlain chamber yeah exactly seven well, chambers I'm, in, I'm right, in I'm which right one of you. one of whom uh is uh uh preserved entirely for clones of Wilt Chamberlain to live in. That dude yeah. was tall. There's this and picture one... that I remember looking at where it's like um, him and, um, oh God, I can't remember who the other actor is, but it's the two of them hanging out with Schwarzenegger on like the Conan set. And I think it's oh, and Schwarzenegger and is, is short. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Schwarzenegger is just a little guy. I think it's, <laughs> oh, I gotta, I gotta look for that now. Um, what is it? Uh, Arnold... Uh, with Wilt Chamberlain. There it is. Yeah, it is. It's Andre the Giant and Wilt Chamberlain. If, if is it Wilt Chamberlain? It, okay. I couldn't yeah, remember if it was him or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No, it's 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 Wilt Chamberlain and Andre the Giant hanging out with uh, Schwarzenegger. It's so awesome. It's so funny. Um, yeah, and they've both got him picked up uh, by either arm. But yeah, Google it later. It's a freaking awesome picture. Um... <laughs> So yeah, go read this book. That it's is good. A good I like it a lot. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, since since this is a uh, we're we're just shy of an hour here. I'll I'll tell you the bit of Eon that stands out to me is the ending of the book. Um, and by the way, if you haven't been spoiled by this point, you're totally gonna. Um, it's. This is the this is the reason. So you and I, we have we have that the Lycorama big board, and yeah. we keep coming back to it. And this is where I we keep Eon, all our. This would be cool to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And I, I put Eon up there almost a year ago when we started um, uh, when we started the Lycorama uh, podcast, and and then when we started creating the big board, and. I, I kept being intimidated to come back to it. And and the reason that I was intimidated is because all of the stuff that you and I have just doled through um, was, it's so high concept 
that I knew that I would have to sit down and I would have to have about eight wiki tabs open and I would have <laughs> to go find my marked up copy of the book, which I, I've got this copy of the book that, that I highlighted all to hell, uh, where I've, I've highlighted the neat bits of where, where they, the aha moments, the, the science fiction aha moments, because yeah. that's another thing that I absolutely love about this is that good classical science fiction storytelling is when you introduce a single premise um, at the beginning of the story, which seems improbable. And by the time that you get to the end of that story, you're given an aha moment where the improbable concept in the science fiction story is solved by pointing at something either scientifically probable or something that is concurrent with modern science. And that was the template for classical science fiction storytelling for almost 50 years, between yeah. the 20s to the 70s. Um, one of the best examples of that, if you want an offhand example, are there's a handful of episodes of The Outer Limits where they do it. The one that I love to point to, just because it's near and dear to my heart, is Star Trek The Motion Picture, where an it, a, an impossibly giant cloud that speaks a machine language comes back to the planet Earth, and it's speaking in a very basic code that no one recognizes until all of the cloud dissipates. And what is at the heart of the machine but Voyager, one of the Voyager space probes, right? That's classical science fiction in that you have an impossible premise with... Uh, a very Sherlock Holmes style set of clues that get revealed as the story goes on. But it's not until you get to the end of the science fiction storytelling that you go, aha, ah, <laughs> now I understand why this is science fiction, why this ties to a scientific concept. Yeah. So that's good storytelling. Eon does 500 of those. <laughs> All right. Then. And that's the thing that I love about Eon is that, Instead of introducing one improbable concept, uh, Greg Bear takes, <laughs> he, he basically takes the sack of all of them during the 1970s, 1980s. He took every single improbable science fiction concept <laughs> and he threw them, uh, you know, and, on the floor. And tied them into one premise. Yeah, and tied them into one giant premise and so he you... stitched them together. And you that would was the just pie, and that yeah. unlocks science fiction of the 20th century. All of it. Oh my god! It, it, it's amazing for that. I mean, it's, it's just so cool for that. Good yeah. for him. Um, yeah, and the um, my favorite memory is the very end of the book, which is um, one of the research crews. It, it's it's this it's this epilogue that gets told years maybe decades maybe hundreds of years down the road where it's the story of one of the research crew's descendants taking um over cleopatra's throne in an alternate earth's ancient egypt uh which <laughs> as as they tell this epilogue turns out to be an egypt where the people of thistledown are going to apply the technology from the asteroid um, to creating a newer, better human race from one of the earliest starting points of human civilization. And what, what I wrote down here at the bottom of this is the idea in itself is absolutely nuts, but when it's placed within their narrative framework of the entire book, it works. 
And, right, and, right, and right. that's the thing I think is fantastic about it. Because if I was well, just, I mean, if I was just throwing that at went you, back, in, if yeah. you or I went back to ancient Egypt, we'd be, I mean, Cleopatra was closer to us than she was to the really old Egypt. But yeah. Uh, but but still, you know, if we went to yeah Egypt or Rome or whatever, and we could be like, hey, check it out, penicillin. Right. Hey, check it out, you know, combustion engine. Right, and the the and, Egyptians, and, the Egyptians would look at us and they would go, "Who the hell are these pale devils? We got to get them <laughs> out of here before they uh, uh, westernize us." <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, we're not the West; we're the South. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oval that is the the universe. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um we're really not that bad. Uh when they arrive from Europe, kill them. Um <laughs> But yeah, so um Eon is a part of, ser- of a series of novels. I've never read the other novels um uh that are basically about the um the process of exploring the way, the process of exploring the seventh chamber. Um, there is a sequel and a prequel. I've, I've never read them. I was so satiated with this story universe after I finished Eon, and it ties itself together so nicely that I was like, "That's enough." You know, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm good. You know, yeah. Um, much in the same way that like you could you could uh, read Dune end to end, and you could go, "Well, oh, that's pretty cool." You know, the, the little <laughs> nerd prince takes back his family's name and 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 he becomes part of the people that live on this planet well that's pretty neat okay you know and you can oh, leave is it that there what that movie is that what happened in that movie yeah pretty much i, I, mean, I just you know, remember the the ugly bulbous guy fl- flying around baron, baron harkonnen flying around in his zero g suit yeah i want to boil i want to spit on her yeah, if you boil Dune all the way down to like its barest components, it's um, it's 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 Star Wars, uh, but entirely told on Tatooine. I mean, that's pretty much yeah. it. Um, it's it's Star Wars, but you also mix in um, King Arthur and the Knights of Camelot, and that's pretty much it. Um, okay. It's not bad. It's not a bad story, but you know. It's it's a very straightforward story, and also Dune end to end. You could walk away from the the universe of Arrakis and of the uh, the Atreides and the Harkonnens with having read that book and, and go, I'm I'm satiated. You know, I I've cleaned my plate. Um, Eon is very similar to that in that it stands nicely on its own. In in that regard, uh, what about uh, you've have you read the Rama? series he sounded familiar with it when we talked Uh, earlier that so i i have i've cards on the table i've read very little sci-fi and almost all of it is arthur c clark i i Um, have a i have a giant uh master list of classical sci-fi media that i've been working to digest the course of my life and and it's based on all of these um books these library books that i used to dig through um back when i lived in durham where it was like it would be you know the top 100 science fiction books or the top 100 science fiction movies oh yeah and so i ended up kind of creating my own hybrid list and the ones that the ones that are still on the list that i haven't dug through yet are um foundation uh by asimov um rama by asimov um 
Clark. Or Clark. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, yeah right. Best. Rama by Clark. And then um, there's there's a handful of others. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm almost done with uh, the Neuromancer series, which um, oh, right uh, our, our GM has suggested to us. Yeah, Omid, Omid hooked me up with those, and I'm almost done with those. I did, um, I did three books of Dune, and after the third one, I was kind of like, all right, I don't really care anymore. Um, <laughs> and then, well, that's um, the thing with these books is because there's such big concepts and everything is explained, and it's like, oh, I'm, let's discuss the vastness of everything. You get right. this like 700 page tome. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, whatever series it is, yeah. it's a 700 page like kaboom it falls on the desk and it's wonderful and it takes you 15 years to read that's exactly and then you're like hey there's only seven more in the series oh god (laughs) yeah exactly this is what i do until my grandchildren die right and and that series that was the point that i somebody um i can't remember which science fiction author it was but there's this quote that i really love where it's um at a certain point you have to decide when it's okay to throw the book at the wall and Mm. um it's it's one of my favorite as the writer or the reader as as the reader as the reader Um, right 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 yeah yeah. and i i can't remember took a second yeah took me a second to pick up on the context yeah i can't remember which sci-fi author said it but um the they it's 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 their thesis concept to all of these authors are amazing and everything that they're going to sell you as high concept sci-fi is going to soak you in and, and make it so it feels like you can't leave that story universe, but you, the reader also need to make a judgment call as to if you feel bored, walk away. Because yeah. otherwise, you're, you're hate reading or you're hate yeah. watching. Or and it's you, obligatory. Or it's obligatory. That's that was, exactly right. I had a very big problem with that. The guilt of, mm-hmm. well, I can't just stop. Right. I have right. an obligation to this yeah. book. I made a commitment. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, yeah that's Who exactly cares? it. Right. The author got their 15 cents. Yep. They're good. I remember the very first experience that I ever had with that was that I fastidiously, eagerly, and and with every penny digested the Star Wars literary universe for a long period of time, right up until we until I got to uh, this one author, and I'm not going to say who the author is, but I I remember Gerald Ford. Exactly that. I tell you what. Okay, President, shitty Star Wars writer. Um, mm. But I I made it about two-thirds of the way through this one novel, which is part of a, 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 a another trilogy, because they would do the novels as novel trilogies to kind of stay in, in line with the, the movie trilogy. And I made it two-thirds of the way through the first book, and I was like, this is trash. I, I am mm. not doing this. This is this does not sound like Luke. This does not sound like Han. You know, this is these are not the actions that they would take. You know, I give up. I'm no longer interested. And then I found that after doing that, um, it... it it was immensely freeing. You know, I, uh, I did the same thing with Dune. I, I did the same thing with, um, uh, Orson Scott card at a certain point. Uh, I made Ender's game is fantastic. 
I read uh, Xenocide, which is the follow-up to Ender's Game, which is another 500-page tome. Um, and there was a point in, in the third book, I think it was called Ender's Shadow, I may have it wrong, um, where I was like, I think a third of the way through, and I was like, I, I don't care. You know, you've created characters that are so superhuman in terms of their ability to survive all of the, you know, the space travel and blah, 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 that, you know, I'm sure they'll figure their shit out in the end. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no longer interested in this drama. Yeah, I mean, you get burned out. Yeah, exactly. So, Eon is sometimes Sometimes it's the author, sometimes it's you, sometimes it's... I've spent too much time with this. I need to step yeah. away for five years or 15 right. years. Yeah, right, back. right. And I'll, I'll pick it up and eventually. We'll, yeah. we'll revisit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eon is good because it's, um, even though it's big and it's high concept, it's, um, if you were to do Eon as a movie, you know how they, they talk a lot about um, uh, cinemaphiles like a quote unquote tight 90. You know, a good hour and a yeah, half yeah, movie yeah. where you can tell the movie from beginning to end. Oh and my then God, there's those were the days. And then there's there's movies where you need every second of that three hours to tell the story. Um, yeah, Eon would be one of those cinematically. If they ever did Eon as film, it would be a three hour movie, and you would need to be paying attention to every second of the three hour movie. But when uh-huh. it was done. You could walk away from the movie and be like, well, I've just lived an entire pocket life, you know. Right, um, right, right. That's, that's how Eon feels, reading it cover to cover. Um, it's really satisfying for that. Um, so you're saying it's the opposite of uh, Godzilla v. Kong? Is that what it's called? <laughs> Godzilla v. Kong? The, the Godzilla Kong versus v. Godzilla. Kong movie. Oh, I still want to see it. I still haven't seen it oh, yet. I'm, I'm seeing it was it. so... Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. There was like I, five minutes of people mm-hmm. and like 90 minutes of monsters fighting. So And I, it was it was like 100 minutes. Oh, fantastic. And I was like, it's less than two hours. Someone somewhere remembered that movies don't have to be two hours yeah exactly oh my god i'm so excited um oh i love it i've I've, I've seen the ratings the ratings left right up down and sideways from the the genre nerd community are all up in the nine to tens ten to tens yeah i so yeah i mean they're right usually i don't trust genre nerds like Mm. i i don't trust fans because i i can't hate anything enough to be a fan of it to call myself have, a fan of it. Like, I can't I get a, mad at Star Wars or comic books or Batman or whatever. Like, right. the, I'm not a fan. I, I like I stuff. A, I like stuff too much to be a fan of it. I have a subset of people that have got spread across my Twitter and my Instagram that I consider to be people that I will trust to render a science fiction opinion close enough to mine that <laughs> they say it's cool... I'll go check it out. Got it. Um, but uh, dude, it, it's so good. Yeah. The, so the girls and I, we watched, uh, we we binged watched our way through uh, both Pacific Rim movies, and then there was a Netflix series. The girls found out that there was a Netflix series before I did, and they were like, "Dad, oh. Dad, come here!" And I came running in. And I was like, "What's up?" And they were like, "There's a Netflix. 
there's a there's a Pacific Rim anime. And I, I, I remember, like, I think I was midway through work, and I was like, well, that's very cool. I'll come back. Pacific Rim anime? You know. <laughs> I, I plopped down and watched like the first 10 minutes of it with them and then later on I binge watched it with them so they're they're all in for the giant robots versus the giant monsters I Ooh. have yet to get them to sit down and watch the um, I gotta get them to sit down and watch the the because Godzilla v Kong builds on Godzilla King of the Monsters and then the Godzilla movie that came before it that yeah, had yeah, um, yeah. the dude from um, Breaking Bad in it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I want to sit them down and I have, want to have them watch all three of those. Um, I mean, so why? That, it doesn't matter. Because it's because it's monsters. Because yeah, it's, it's giant monsters. monsters. No, you don't have to watch them in order. Who cares? Yeah, you be true. like, hey, there's that's monsters. Fair. Anyway, yeah. here. They found oh, some the monsters. Way, guess what? Yeah, you don't... The 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 bedrock foundation of this universe is yeah. hey, there's monsters. And now anyway, we're gonna beat the let, daylights out of each other. Let's yeah, watch them fight. Yeah, yeah. You don't need that. You don't need to build up to it. I mean, there. I fair. like them all. I would really yeah. like to see. This. I like the the anime they just made of it this spring. The Netflix anime of Godzilla that was pretty cool. Oh, it was, I gotta go check that out. I mean, it's like every other Godzilla and well, the, they did the anime like trilogy of Godzilla movies where it's like a very maudlin and very serious and melodramatic. Oh, it's dude. like okay. dude, just get to the part where he right. where he barfs lasers. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was very, very good and a totally no different Godzilla way of doing it. <laughs> but the new the new Godzilla anime, they do yeah. um Jet Jaguar. Oh neat! And oh, Jet Jaguar is so <laughs> so 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 different and it's awesome <laughs> it's really really fun the way that they Jet do it Jack it's Wah! so rad oh that's great oh that's fantastic and the, it has his theme song like a variation oh. of his theme song and everything. <laughs> oh man oh, it's so, so good cool. i love oh, it i can't wait to see it now oh that's good yeah, yeah um random fact uh jared kiso who is uh um plays wayne in letterkenny um, he also uh, shows up in that first Godzilla movie as a soldier. He's one of the random soldiers that's deployed to attack Godzilla. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, and then and then like I think a year, maybe a year and a half later, he goes off and and they create Letterkenny, and it's fucking amazing. And I can't not get enough of Letterkenny. Um, another another random, random fact is yeah. uh, if you move the consonants over one, it's Jared yeah. Leto. Hey, that's true. That's true. Who gained a lot of weight for a role recently, and I'm not sure what role it is. But um, the oh, the other thing about Jared Kiso, because he's freaking awesome, is that there's this online petition that's going around to get him to be the next Wolverine, which I think totally makes sense. He's Canadian. He's short. <laughs> uh, he plays a person that beats other people up. Is and, he five um, foot two? Now that's the only Delta. Is that Jared Kiso is is tall like a tree, um, you know he's not he's not a a runt like like Wolvie's supposed to be, but ever oh. since the oh idea, this guy I just yeah. looked him up this guy yeah it was basically after uh, after Letterkenny just seeing looking at these pictures of of Kiso and and thinking of him with the 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 hair tufts 
just complaining, you know, uh, I'm like, I'm ready for it. You know, I, I want to hear him, you know, bite off stuff about, you know, it hurts every time the claws come out, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I, anyway, that's, that's, that's just, you know, that's a thing that's floated around on nerd internet and I've just loved it ever since it, it, it came about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't have anything else. I'm running out of things to talk about now. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. so that has a lot to do with that book. <laughs> oh, we were talking about the opposite of that book. That's right. Yeah, we the were talking Godzilla about the movie was the opposite yeah. of the book. Yeah, no, Got Eon it. is high concept. Godzilla is low concept. Yeah, um, which isn't bad. It's you know they're they're lovable for different reasons. Eon, you know what? If Eon was ever done as a film, I would want to see Christopher Nolan do it. I, I, I want to sure. see the guy. That, yeah, I want to see either Christopher Nolan or uh, Guillermo del Toro do it. And and I'd love mm. to see Guillermo del Toro do it the way that he did Pan's Labyrinth, where he has enough time to tell the story and to really get you engrossed in it. Um, but like when Christopher Nolan did Interstellar and and when he did um, uh, Inception, um, yeah, yeah, those yeah, yeah. are those are high concept in the same science fiction high concept in the same way that Eon is sci fi high concept. Um, as a matter of fact, watching Interstellar has it, it has a lot of the look and the feel of the storytelling that goes into Eon. And if you hmm. sit there in a dark room, in a dark theater, and you let every little bit of the storytelling in Interstellar really soak into you, like him, him realizing that the only way back to his family is through this interdimensional portal and, and moving into this, this universe that's connected through the concept of strings borrowing from Brian Greene's string theory. And that's it's plucking these, these strings that tie together the, the, the fundamental quarks the, the, uh, that tie the elements of the universe together in order to get back. It's, it's like, holy shit. How did you put all of this in one movie? You know, and yet Nolan did a really fantastic job. It, it, Bear does the same with Eon. Um, and, and I don't think Eon is ever going to be done as a movie. Um, you know, maybe someday it'll be done as like an Apple TV series or a Netflix series or something like that. But right, right. It would be interesting to see if they ever found someone high concept enough to match the storytelling fervor that's necessary to, to yeah. do this. But but then the expanse is fantastic, so <clears throat> and maybe possible, uh, you know, yeah, either like a very expensive like HBO show or mm -hmm. a very good cartoon series or something. Right, right, right. Yeah, you need you need some sort of. I mean, I haven't read the book, so what do I know? But it sounds like you need a a little sprinkle of impossibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you need that that that. Um, if it was to ever be announced, you need that that bit of like you look at the actors, you look Ooh. at the director, you look at the show, and you go, "No way!" And then what about like uh, what about uh, Holly? What's his name? Stewart. The guy. No, H uh, A W L E Y. The guy who did Legion. Ah, yeah. What's his name? David Holly. Uh, no, I'm thinking of David Heller, which is Legion's name. Legion director. 
What's There's his name? Hiro Mirai, which is the director no. of Legion. No. Noah the Hawley. creator. Noah, Noah Hawley. Hawley. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I could see yeah. Noah Hawley doing a good job on yeah. something like that. I would absolutely, yeah, I could Because, I mean, yep. uh, I mean, God, I mean, all, all his shows have been great, in, but Legion was really like, wow, yeah, you just sort of broke how a TV show works. Yeah. You broke so many narrative premises in the process of telling this story, and yeah. yet you pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, you, Legion yeah. is so freaking good. Yeah. It's a really good show. Yeah. And we obsessed over that in this house for about four years, waiting for the different seasons to come out. We were like, "Where's the next one?" Yeah. And everyone who got mad with the uh, with the one season, I think it's the end of season two. You're right. And yeah. the ones who defended it, I get it. Yeah. But, uh, but I think the way that they came back with season three, where it's like, no, like he's a he's a terrible guy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess he is a terrible guy. Yeah, yeah. You know the the one the one thing, the one little fan theory that I saw around the time that Legion uh, season three was being produced was that there there was this rumor that floated around. Uh, that James McAvoy had been spotted on set and that kicked oh. off this like thousand nerd theories of oh, what if what if James McAvoy shows up in like the last episode of Legion season three as as you know like the Sony X-Men cinematic universe professors right. you know oh my god wouldn't that be neat you know because the one thing that's cool about Legion is that the the fabric of reality is being changed so often that you could do that you could drop you know someone like that in um sure but yeah but but just like uh the um uh other uh um version of um i know patrick uh, stewart you hate him i know no 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 i'm trying to no you've you've been very clear that you always have despised Patrick Stewart and everything he does. Yeah, the day that he took my lunch money, man. Bitter enemies <laughs> from the from the start. No, what was the name when of when you were at the, the right of, young um, age of negative thirty five? What was the name of uh, Wanda Maximoff's uh, uh, brother in um, X Men? Um, oh, Quicksilver. Yeah, Quicksilver. Yeah, when they when they quote unquote recast Quicksilver. In, oh, um, in, in WandaVision. WandaVision, and yeah, that was great. Everybody's fan theory was like, oh, everyone went they're going to tie the two universes together, and then it was like, no, we be... just thought it'd be funny. Yeah, Evan Boner. <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone, we were just like, no, it'd be cool. What a colossal deflate be... that was. That was funny. Yeah, it was great. I love it. Yeah, yeah that it was made a great. Me, like the excitement made me happy. Yep. And then the infinite theories made me happy. And yeah, then we, yeah. when, when they pulled the rug out from under it, and they're like, what? Yeah. No. It's yeah. not, and the it's not any the of pool. that. Yeah. That made yeah. me the happiest. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. bait Absolutely. and switch made me the happiest. And later they were like, all of them were like, we really didn't think anyone would care. We yeah. just thought it was funny. <laughs> you guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just goes I to show. <laughs> you give, uh, I love it. If you give Marvel Legends fan a cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, don't uh don't poke fans with sticks. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. Or carrots. Yep. Alright. Um I, I well, figure this, we'll wrap this up. 
This yeah, this fun. episode ended half an hour ago. Yeah, so. yeah. You can choose how much of it you want to keep or leave. I don't, <laughs> I don't really care. This is fun to talk about the shit anyway. Um, so yeah, Eon well, yeah. by Greg Bear. It's been around it's a f- for a while. It's a fantastic Wikipedia entry. Oh and yeah. I imagine and- the book is even better. Yeah, that's the great thing is that the book is so dense that the Wikipedia entry is proportionally almost as long in a Cliff's Notes fashion as the book itself. Yeah. <laughs> so go go read it or or go audible it or or however the hell it, you digest. Go to the library. Get it. It's on, on my library list. Yes, sir. Yeah. Check it out. All right. Well, that's right on. It. So uh, outro music. I guess that's you this time, right? Here it is. You funky, funky devil.